politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property so much more than we did in the 1770s. Boy, folks, <laughs> if you think this is 1776, we've never lived through a time like this. This is our calling, our time to fight or die. It's that simple. But how do we do it? How do we do it on this Monday? And by the way, it is George Washington's birthday, although not really, because that's the 22nd. This fake President's Day today, Monday. By the way, Daniel Horowitz back today at Blaze Media. And it's interesting. We talk about this President's Day. No, 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 no. We celebrate one president, George Washington, because he devolved the power that he could have been given, could have taken for himself. We're not celebrating the majestic nature of this office. We're celebrating self-governance. But instead, they wanted to give a bunch of federal workers that are overpaid and underworked yet another day off. So here we are. And it's really a perfect day to ponder this with the current ill-gotten presidency by the fake president, out in in Ukraine. Okay? Ukraine is more important. They are telling you blatantly, you don't matter. We are now two and a half weeks into the chemical attack, which is really what it was, on a small town in Ohio at the Pennsylvania border, and nothing has changed yet. Some of these pictures have been circulating on the internet. I've been sent some from Heidi, the resident of East Palestine, who was on the show last week. Uh, Rashes and all sorts of issues that they're having. Clearly, it's not safe. They should have been evacuated yesterday and the day before and the day before. But this is what is so revealing. It's out in the open that this is a problem and they still won't do anything. It's out in the open that the Ukrainian thing is a fraud, that we're sending them almost $200 billion, and we're we're running out of weapons. That's the irony. And yet, it's not really doing much to change the stalemate balance of power there, which we shouldn't care about anyway. Just like it's known a million times over from a trillion different data points over... 25, 26 months that these poison shots were the worst thing ever, and yet nothing changes. Notice the policies never update to comport with the reality. That is the hallmark of the Fourth Reich. They know it's going on. They're doing it on purpose. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is the question to ponder today on this fake President's Day. We have an even bigger need to fight back against this presidency and everything that it encompasses much more than we did with King George. But how do we do it? Well, we always note that the the key is to make red states red again and basically national divorce. But then the question is, well, where do we do it? We don't have any red states. You go and they have supermajority Republicans that are supermajority leftists. What do we do? So I want to I wanna give a little bit of a vision on that 
today as we go through the news. But first, I just want to I want to read to you a little bit from Federalist 69. It's contrasting the role of a president to that of a king. The president of the United States would be an officer elected by the people for four years. The king of Great Britain is a perpetual and hereditary prince. The one, meaning the president, would be amendable to personal punishment and disgrace. The person of the other is sacred and inviolable. The one would have a qualified negative upon the acts of the legislative body. The other has an absolute negative. The one would have a right to command the military and naval forces of the nation. The other, in addition to this right, possesses that of declaring war and of raising and regulating fleets and armies by their own authority. Notice declaring war. We are, we are sucked into this Ukrainian war more than anything we've ever been sucked into. We're spending more than we even spent on Afghanistan where we lost so many lives. And there's never been a declaration of war. This is why I say the Constitution is over with. We don't abide by this anymore. So, yeah, I mean, he could, he could suck us into a war endlessly without Congress. Indeed, they've never taken a vote on that. The one would have a concurrent power with a branch of the legislature in the formation of treaties. The other is the sole possessor, meaning the king is the sole possessor of the power. The one would have like a concurrent authority in appointing to offices. The other is the sole author of all appointments. And again, none of this matters. When, when, you, when you read the Federalist Papers and you understand the design of the Constitution, it was all predicated on the fact that the president was the guy who was in charge of the executive branch, and that power was checked by the legislature. That was before the administrative state, when you basically have, you could have the CDC control your body, and Congress is out to lunch. So we could, we could talk about how great the Constitution is all we want, and you know my feelings about this, but it's over. It's over. It's not there. Okay? It's like being in an ocean, you're drowning, you could reminisce about the time you had the life jacket, but you don't have it. So what are you going to do? The Constitution is dead. Moreover, the notion that you're going to fix this country the way it is, is dead. J just the fact that we know everything we know about the shots, and nothing changes. Yeah, Republicans are kind of half-heartedly saying, oh, he's in Ukraine when, you know, he should be in East Palestine. But it's not like Kevin McCarthy is holding a press conference in East Palestine. It's not like Kevin McCarthy is holding a press conference with vaccine injured. And by the way, you still have all the Senate Republicans still saying that you need more effort put into Ukraine. Mitch McConnell just said, if you look at the amount of money we've spent, it's only 0.02% of our GDP. That's the way he looks upon it. But it's eons more than all of Europe put together. You just have, this is how broken the Republican Party is. Representative Tony Gonzalez of Texas, the same um, guy blocking border security bills. And, and by the way, it's another Trump rhino. Trump endorsed rhino. He signed a letter asking Biden to give F-16s to Ukraine. Do you know who the other uh, co-author of that letter was? Mike Gallagher. He's the Republican subcommittee chair of China. So this guy is complaining about 
oh, China's a big threat, yet he's flushing our resolve on on Ukraine to the point we don't even have weapons and they're complaining about that. And he's supposed to be in charge of China. And by the way, again, I'm not a fan of Russia, but we had an opportunity to drive a wedge between Russia and China, and now we united them. This is what we have for Republican leadership. This guy is the subcommittee chair of China, pimping Ukraine and gay marriage, by the way. We don't have anyone for us. We don't have anyone giving voice to us. I want you guys to think about the scope of what was done to humanity. You know, you you see the short-term injuries, very similar to COVID, short-term injuries in East Palestine. And then you wonder, like, wait a minute, you know these things are so carcinogenic. If this is what you're seeing short-term, well, what does that portend for these people long-term? And it's a very scary and very sad question. And to this day, they could be moved out. Just like to this day, we could take the shots off the market, but we don't. That's the hallmark of the Fourth Reich. It used to be government was corrupt. It would cover things up. When it would come out, they'd kind of bury it. Now they just keep doing it. Because who's going to stop them? We don't have a party or a movement to stop them. But I just want you to imagine, what, there's 4,000 or so people there. Who knows how many others are affected. Just consider the fact that 5.5 billion people were injected with a gene-editing agent that we now know stays in your blood for a very long period of time and is associated with every malady under the sun short-term. And long-term, there's a lot of very, very disturbing questions about this. So I'm trying to keep this story alive, both Ohio and the COVID shots. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. The book has dropped over the weekend. Um, You guys have been amazing. And I don't care. I don't need to make another cent on this. I don't care if the book goes away. But the question is, what are we going to do? We need a rallying cry to make this issue not go away. We need a way of making this issue not go going away. And, and again, one of the things is the censors, censorship. We are getting sh- throttled. Um, I know my Twitter account still is getting th- throttled. I don't think Elon is doing that on purpose. But the code must be buried in there. People complain they don't see my stuff. And by the way, speaking of censorship, I almost forgot our sponsor today, ExpressVPN. I, I know it's tough shelling out more money for things that you think you shouldn't need. Like, why should I have to pay to use the internet? But, I mean, imagine walking into East Palestine without hazmat suits, which they should be wearing. Well, that's what you're doing if you are going online without ExpressVPN. Everything you see, the the, the government will be be watching you. They'll be monitoring. They'll be aggregating it. They'll be selling it. They'll be working with... Uh, the fake private sector to um, spy on you. There is no longer any privacy online. That's why I use ExpressVPN on all of my devices, whether it is a smartphone, whether it's a laptop, a a desktop. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address uh, shared by other ExpressVPN customers that makes it more difficult for third parties to identify and, you know, harvest my data 
Um, it's very easy to use. One touch of the button, you get it on all your devices. A family plan covers five devices. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself today with the number one rated VPN on the market, expressvpn.com slash conservative. And if you go there, you'll get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash conservative. That's expressvpn.com slash conservative. Use the mask on your computer that actually works. So, folks, I, I want to just get out here first off. Um, there is a bill you need to know about for Idaho, Idaho HB 154, by the way, banning mRNA. For some reason, that bill more than anything has gained national attention the one we did in north dakota and it got watered down into a study didn't you know go anywhere this is national news it's everywhere very interesting but uh tammy nichols a friend of mine uh, she introduced it in idaho um it's just just a terrific terrific bill this is what we need to move the overton window also another interesting bill i need to delve into a little bit more is arkansas senate bill eight um, it makes it a felony for any pharmaceutical executives to lie, cover up, conceal information about um, vaccine injury. So in other words, if someone gets damaged by a shot and then we find out you covered it up, that's a felony. And now some of you might be asking, well, Daniel, doesn't that interfere with the indemnity at a federal level? Well, I think this... This is covered by willful misconduct. Now, I'm sure they will say even that it might be precluded. Um, but then you might say, well, if it's if it's not covered, then it's hard to prove. It, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. If it's not negligence and it's you know willfully covering things up, it's not easy. But again, it's not so much the mechanics of actually using and utilizing that provision of law. It's further accentuating into law that the rights of humanity are at stake, that we are lab rats, and, and we're not going to take it anymore. So to me, just passing a bill like that in, in itself, there is definitely, definitely value to, to doing this. Um, so, so again, so what do we do? What do we do? We're, we're struggling to just get on the map, to get on the map on this issue. So first off, those of you who haven't purchased the book yet, Rise of the Fourth Reich, uh, get, give it as a gift to your friend. You know, I, what I didn't want to do was just repeat all of the data and science and that stuff from three years worth of columns and shows. This is an easy to read format. So it gives it over emotionally in a story, in testimony, as if you're sitting there at a Nuremberg trial. And then at the end, we do have the policy solutions that we want to demand. So get this to everyone you know. Give us a five-star review on Amazon. It really helps. And uh, call your library. Make sure they they carry it. Usually they'll fulfill that request unless they find out what it is and they're like, hey, we're not doing that. But it's worth a try. And, and that's the thing. And And... You know, it, it is interesting. I'm not complaining here, but, you know, one of the books that supplanted us over the weekend was the, there's this new book that came out from this woman who came from North Korea, and she has a whole story about coming to America and speaking out, and then she's being censored by the left, and 
it almost feels like she's in North Korea. And and, and it, it looks like a great book. Looks like a great book and great story and really kind of ties into the time. And it's interesting just watching. She's all over Fox News. All the conservative talkers are having her on. And it's interesting. They'll touch that, but they won't touch my book. Um, and again, they're obviously cut from the same cloth that, you know, basically America has become as repressive as North Korea. And that's kind of the message of Rise of the Fourth Reich. Except here it's about censorship. Censorship, which is important. But that conservative media is all over because that they're scared of. Because it gets into their career. It gets in their way, right? But, oh, we just injected something and they're still mandating it, still marketing it, still killing people. The legal structure for it is all in place Somehow they don't care. And it's emblematic of the conservative movement where politics is an end to itself. It might be a good issue. I'm not knocking her book. It actually looks like a good book. I'm just saying it's never about the issues that really, really, really matter. It's amazing. I don't know what to do to raise the prominence of this issue. You know, they only kind of like killed everyone. It's unreal what is going on. And we talked about the excess deaths last week. I have many, many more um, data points on this. For those of you willing to, who, who, who want to take a look at it, we'll have more articles out this week. But Florida's Department of Health, they issued a warning. They, they said every doctor needs to give informed consent and warn about theirs and the other um, safety signals that we're seeing. Why is Florida the only state to this day? I can't figure that out. And that in itself is very, very disturbing. So what do we do? We only have one red state. So how do we have national divorce? And I think it's really a two-step process. I think we're going to need the zeal of people from blue states to move into the supposed red states. And and too many people living currently in red states have this complacency that they think, oh, well, you know, you know, we have Republicans, so it's not a problem. And then they don't do anything. And then the cancer grows and festers in their state on every issue except for maybe abortion taxes and guns. So perhaps it takes that zeal. And, and maybe that's what we need to do. We need to start working more on how to enhance the red states to begin with. And then, and then from there, we'll be able to eventually have a national divorce. And I want to give you two, two stories here. One's going to be an article about Wyoming, and one is going to be a guest from the state of Idaho. So two different red states, and I want to discuss this through that prism there's a fascinating article here written uh, last week at CowboyStateDaily.com. And we've talked a lot about how Wyoming, it's in many respects the most Republican state. There's literally two Democrats left in the entire state Senate, and the Republicans have like a 57 to 5 majority in the House. And yet we can't get the, the basic medical freedom passed. Basic you know, just don't mandate the poison, even while you while you promote the poison at a, at a state governmental level. We can't get that. We had Grace Smith, a 16-year-old in Cheyenne, 
a year and a half into this fraud, arrested for not wearing a mask in, in school. And we still can't get legislation permanently barring mask mandates in the state of Wyoming. So it's really, really bad. But just know how bad it is. It used to be even worse. So there's an article out in Cowboy State Daily explaining how conservative it's become. And it's just fascinating from their perspective. As the Wyoming legislature is taking a more far-right bent after the general election, again, mind you, they're saying it's far-right, so has the legislation that's being considered during the, this 2023 session. That the Cowboy State is one of the most conservative red states in the nation has long been a hallmark of the legislature. Just how conservative the 93 members of the state House and Senate should lean is being tested. State Senator Charles Scott of Casper said, The question of whether to approve some of the far-right legislation proposed this session has been a political tug-of-war at the state capitol in Cheyenne. He said that reaches a crescendo on bills that involve the state's relationship with the federal government, managing its boom-bust mineral cycle, and what to do with the revenue surplus of about $1.7 billion. So first of all, I just want to say, notice they admit the biggest point of contention is the relationship with the federal government, and they're not wrong. This is the biggest thing we need to do is break that mother's milk. And I talked about a little bit on Friday how Collier County in Naples, uh, Florida, they agreed to return all the vaccine marketing funding that they were given by HHS to pimp Pfizer for them. Like, we're not doing it. That's something, again, an action item you can do in your county government, in every red county. We are, are taking that away. You need to break the dependency. That's the first thing. Break the dependency. Um, and that's really what our founding fathers did. They were willing to break the dependency on commerce from Britain, which certainly hurt them. They obviously had to seek other allies in France. And that that's the big problem. If, if, if this is our 1776 moment again, and King George is the federal government at large, well, what do we do? you got to break the dependency. So very interesting, this guy... And he's one of the old bull rhinos. Un this guy, Scott, uh, unquestionably, it has become more conservative because the population at large has become conservative because of the same issues that have come to the forefront. Okay, well, that's true. It's slowly seeping into the legislature, but I would argue it's really just in terms of at least people like me could find allies to introduce a bill. It won't get passed, but it's kind of the first step. Talks about how this guy entered since in seventeen in nineteen seventy nine. Holy smokes! Um. So, an example is Casper Republican Representative Jeanette Ward, and we had her on the show. House Bill sixty six, which would have prohibited discrimination on people who choose not to follow face mask vaccine. I I, I just just from the onset here. Just in their mind, this is why we need national divorce. This is this is why we cannot live harmoniously with people who think Ukraine is a thing, but our people need to be poisoned, both from chemicals in East Palestine and the vaccine by everyone. But they're calling a legislation that merely says you can't push a mask and a dangerous shot, both things that have been repudiated as dangerous and unhelpful time and again. You can't discriminate. 
anti-discrimination bill that's far right. And it failed. It failed. But that such a far right conservative piece of legislation would move that far. And with such a close vote margin shows a shift in the legislature. And the problem is this article is both sad and true at the same time. Like it said that, wait, wait, wait a minute. So it's like a big deal that we got close to maybe passing in the more conservative House, much less the Senate, a bill to say, just don't tase me, bro. Don't poison me. Don't force the poison on me. But they're not wrong. Last session, it would have gotten even fewer votes, meaning it has moved. It has moved. Even with a special session called specifically for COVID responses, we couldn't get done with what that representative did in 60 seconds in her first run, said um, this guy, Chip Neiman, who also aligns with the Freedom Caucus. I think that tells us there's a pretty dramatic shift, meaning we couldn't even get anything. So she almost got it through, Jeanette Ward. And we mentioned at the time, Jeanette, represents something very interesting because Jeanette herself is not just a freshman but she's a newcomer to Wyoming she moved from Illinois just moved just moved and look they talk about the Freedom Caucus having its influence which is which is certainly true and that's that's definitely very important But look at what they say. Another possible source of the turn to national topics, meaning exactly what I'm trying to do, rather than the legislature just focus on nerdy things while Rome burns, no, for them to interpose and 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 focus on civilization issues at a local level. It's amazing watching the liberal media pick this up. The COVID-19 pandemic ushered in a wave of transplants to Wyoming most of whom were drawn to the state for its conservative views and low taxes. Most of the politically involved members of this group have expressed very conservative views statewide. Ward is one of them herself, moving to Wyoming from Illinois in 2021. We're definitely more conservative because we have 26 people who are more conservative than what we've done before, said Representative David Northrup, um, a longtime legislator not associated with the Freedom Caucus. And it's it's just really fascinating. Really, really, really fascinating watching this. How these people recognize this demographic shift. And what it tells me is that there's this complacency of politics. And also, just keep in mind that the left is so dominant and the Republicans are so bad, you need like almost a 70-30 and 80-20 just to change things. It's not enough to have a 60-40 state. So this is why really it's important that they note that a big part of the Wyoming dynamic of what's starting to change things is people moving in now. You have political refugees. So you can imagine you have someone coming from a blue state and they move here and they're like, oh my gosh, this is not as red as I thought. And they bring with them um, 
you know, kind of like the old immigrants to America that actually came with zeal, not for welfare and economic reasons, but for the values. And you're starting to see that with state-based refugees. So I think this is a big part of it. This is a big part of this movement to get people from blue states to come in and reinforce it. That in itself is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So as much as I complain, I do see the signs, the budding signs of this over time that we will possibly start this trend of pushing for interposition, independence from the federal government. And that does mean, you know, being willing to do without the funding. This is perhaps where it's headed. Where is the biggest example of this? Where is the biggest example of potential to accentuate the divide by reinforcing red areas that are represented by lackluster Republicans with people fleeing blue America, just like the pilgrims did, to find something new? And that's just north of Wyoming in Idaho. So, folks, we've talked a lot about Greater Idaho. We've had representatives of the organization on before. And typically, we view this more in terms of, oh, this is a refugee opportunity to evacuate people from a terrible you know, blue state run by Portland and, and that part of the left coast. You got the entire eastern two-thirds contiguous land, 70-80% conservative probably even more if you actually had proper governance there, and yet they are controlled uh, irrevocably, as we saw from this last election. No matter what, there is no way they can get, get out of those clutches, so they badly just want to redraw the boundary, would draw very nicely, draw into Idaho, and they want to live free. And that's all true. But tying into the theme today, it's also a push-pull. It's the other direction, too. It's that... Idaho is itself is not really red. It has the potential based on the supermajority of the sentiment of the people. But because you have fraudulent Republicans beginning with that governor, but certainly many in the legislature, many throughout local government, but it is starting to change. We're having more aggressive legislation being introduced. We have a better representation in the Senate than we've ever had. Um, but we're, we're getting there. We're not there. One of the best ways of doing that is you can imagine if you incorporated the zeal of those who were under the thumb of blue state governance in the most conservative part of Oregon into Idaho, wow, that would not just serve as a landing place for those people, but it would create a self-fulfilling prophecy of actually making Idaho live up to its uh its reputation. And boy, could that be a concept of a greater Idaho could be a great step into this national divorce we want to push, whatever form that takes, whether it's a formal thing, an informal thing, just having very strong 10th Amendment, cutting off your dependency on the federal government, doing what you want in accordance with human rights, life, liberty, property, constitutional values, and let the chips fall where, where they may. Let the federal government service Ukraine, which it will do anyway. That's all they care about. So let our places actually reflect the values of the people. 
Um, look, this sounds like a crazy pipe dream idea, but you know what? More than any idea I've seen, this has really taken off, and kudos to the organizers for actually, they're pretty much halfway there um, in terms of the legal steps needed to be taken to redraw a state boundary. So with us today to discuss some of the nitty-gritty of this, uh, we had him before, is Matt McCall of Citizens for Greater Idaho. Hey, Matt, thanks for returning again to join us today at Blaze Media. Well, thanks for having me, Daniel. You're, you're right. We are making tons of progress. Uh, what happened in the Idaho legislature this last week was uh, the Idaho House uh, passed our bill, and it's a joint memorial. It's inviting the Oregon legislature to begin talks about about where it makes sense to move the border. And, you know, one of the strengths of, of our movement, Daniel, is that our idea is a good one. It makes sense. And, and when we talk to people about our idea, they say, oh, man. Is, is that possible? That's always their first thing. Is that possible? <laughs> we say, yes, there's legal precedent. Borders have changed multiple times throughout the history of the United States. Absolutely, it's possible. It's just a matter of, of the political will, elected leaders making it happen. And once people hear that, that it's legal and that there's precedence, they say, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, because what, all we're trying to do is we're trying to match up people to government that they actually want that matches their values. It makes no sense for people in Eastern Oregon to be getting government from Western Oregon, which is hundreds of miles away, completely different economy, completely different culture, completely different set of values. Um, having that government forced upon them in Eastern Oregon makes no sense, and everybody understands that. Um, so when we say, hey, let's move the border and change governance, almost everybody agrees, oh, that makes sense. That, that's what we try to do in this country is get people government that they want uh, that, that matches their values and, and solves the problems in their communities. So there's really three layers to this. There's a, it's a three-step process. There's you got to get the counties who might want it to actually say, hey, we want it. Then you get mm -hmm. the state legislatures on both sides to say, hey, we're willing to pass this joint memorial to negotiate and then eventually sign off on it. And then you got to get Congress to sign off of it. But but the critical thing really is getting the state. So obviously, you know, a lot of these movements, they, they you know, you, you all have a website, people will talk about this, doesn't go anywhere. Talk about before we say, oh, but you didn't get here, you didn't get here. Okay, right. that's true. But let's first give over to the public how far you've come. Sure. Yeah. So, so you're exactly right in the process. So just real quickly, because we've talked about the process before, uh, any state border can move. A state border, a line, state line is an imaginary line that can move. And, and they have moved multiple times throughout the history of the United States. We see um, lines to group people change all the time. We redistrict to group similar peoples cities annex, uh, you know, outlying areas. This is not some crazy idea. It's something that, that happens all the time uh, and has happened multiple times in the history of the U.S. So the process is just as you said, any two states can get together and they can say, you know, our border was put here 164 years ago. It made sense then. It doesn't make sense any longer. So let's put it to where it actually makes sense. Let's put it where it would actually uh, where the cultural divide is in our states between our two states and get people government that actually matches their values. Um, so what we've done is we've spent the last two and a half years going to the people. And, and I think, you know, when people ask us about our movement, I think that's a critical piece is that before we start trying to push our idea on legislators, we went directly to voters. And, and so we've spent the, the man hours and the time getting on county ballots across eastern Oregon and asking voters directly, 
do you want your elected leaders to look into this? Uh, and what we're finding is that when we put this idea in front of voters, the people in Eastern Oregon overwhelmingly are saying, yes, we do. We've had 11 counties that have passed our measures asking their elected leaders to move this idea forward. We have a 12th that's going to be voting on it uh, in May. So we have the support of the people. And there's actually been polling done as well, Daniel, in both Idaho and even in Western Oregon. And they asked people in these two states, you know, should these two states look at moving the border? And and we pulled very strongly in both. P- people in Idaho want to have this conversation about uh, bringing Eastern Oregon counties into Idaho and making Idaho stronger. Um, and people in Western Oregon want to have this conversation. So we have the public support. People understand the issue. They understand it makes no sense for Portland to be dictating yep. policy to Eastern Oregon. Um, so that's huge, is, is that we know the people support this. And so then the next step is to get the legislatures talking. That's where we're at now. And we've got the bill in Idaho. The Idaho legislature is hearing us, hearing the people of Eastern Oregon, hearing the people in Idaho. And they're saying, yeah, we'll have this conversation. We see the benefits to our state. We see how importing 400,000 like-minded people would make Idaho stronger. Uh, we see how moving Oregon policy off of Idaho's border makes Idaho stronger. You know, we have some some crazy laws out here in Oregon where we, we legalized uh, hard drugs, things like that. The people in Eastern Oregon voted overwhelmingly against that policy, but it was forced on us uh, because people on the west side of the state voted for it. Um, but that brought those problems right up to Idaho's border. They don't want those problems there. They'd love to see those pushed back over the mountains, over the Cascades to Western Oregon, where people do want that policy and they can have that policy. So um, so our, the Idaho legislature has been very supportive. They passed it in the House. It's going to the Senate. So the, likewise, we have to do the same thing in Oregon. And so we've got a uh, Senator Linthicum, who's an awesome senator down yep. from Southern Oregon, has introduced a joint memorial in the Oregon Senate. Um, and so we got to get our, our memorial through Idaho, which we're feeling really good about, inviting Oregon to start these talks. And then we got to work on the Oregon legislature and get that bill through there. If we can get these two joint memorials through, get the two states talking, then it's just a matter of hashing out details, yes. sending it to, to the U.S. Congress. And traditionally, historically, uh, the U.S. Congress, if two states agree, especially a red state and a blue state agree, you know, we want to move a line to here because it makes sense for both our states. There's not really any reason that the U.S. Congress would would say no. Yeah, I mean, I'm not so worried about that. Um, Obviously, the big hurdle is, okay, you get the counties. Well, we want it. So they vote out. Then you go to the sympathetic state. Um, they want it. The big mm-hmm. thing is Oregon, obviously. But I don't yep. bef- I, I, I don't want to gloss over before you we go, well, yeah, okay, yeah, but they're not going to let you go. I mean, it is a big deal. This was a historic moment that, that you know, you, it's not every day you have a state saying, look, we want them, essentially. Obviously, it's right. to initiate negotiations, but that is essentially saying that you had a majority in the Idaho House that voted, yeah, it was 40-28. Um, you didn't get every Republican, obviously, but you got enough of them. And they say, hey, we want this. Um, before we go on, could you just describe some of the debate, the hearings, uh, the media coverage, the people? You know, what was it like? This is a very unique thing to bring up in a legislature. <laughs> yeah, so so we have some awesome representatives in Idaho. Representative Boyle and Representative Ehart have been big supporters of our movement, and, and especially Representative Ehart. She saw right away when we started this movement two years ago, um, she saw – you know, how it made sense for everybody involved. And and so she has helped us, you know, gather support in the Idaho legislature. And, and so we were over for the hearing and, you know, the Idaho legislators are, are, they want to make sure that they're bringing in 
you know, people that are going to be productive, share their values, are not going to change Idaho, but we're going to be, you know, we're going to strengthen Idaho and not be a drag on Idaho. Yeah. And so that's what a lot of the questions and a lot of, uh, uh, you know, the concerns that the representatives had is, you know, if we bring these counties in, are we going to be bringing these policies that we don't like in Oregon? Uh, are we going to be bringing people that are going to be an economic drag? And, and we were able to answer those questions. The people in Eastern Oregon are very, very similar to the people of Idaho. The people in Eastern Oregon voted overwhelmingly against legalized marijuana, overwhelmingly against legalized drugs. We don't want these policies any more than Idaho does. Um, and, and so, you know, that was a lot of the concern. And we were able to address those. And, and again, the legislators in Idaho um, see how this is a benefit. This really makes sense, Daniel. You know, and, and it's not, you know, people think it's it's when we first started this two and a half years ago, I said, you're crazy. Uh, you know, like this will never happen. As we get further down the line and, and people see, hey, this makes sense. Why would you have these 400,000 very, very conservative people in Eastern Oregon that have a completely different way of life? Why would they be getting policy forced on them? They don't want causes all sorts of political tension, all sorts of, you know, yep. just grief why would we not just move the border and get them to a state that wants them is similar to them and all that political tension goes away. Uh, so, you know, um, so, so we were very happy with the result in, in the house in Idaho and we feel really confident that the, the senators in Idaho will, will also see the benefits. Um, but yeah, it was a first step, but it was a very big step and, and yes. um, we were very pleased. Yeah, it is to get the counties to vote. I mean, you have a still still a few more that you're in the process of getting. You want to get total of 15 for phase one. Um, and we've mm -hmm. talked about before, perhaps the southwestern part of the state, you can get even further. There's questions of eastern Washington, which is somewhat of a similar dynamic, but not quite as stark as and, and compelling as the, as the Idaho as the Oregon uh, portion mm -hmm. of it. There's a lot that can be done with this. Um, so you got the house. Now, I just for clarity's sake, this is one of those deals where it's a negotiation exclusively between legislatures, not the respective governors. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, so the way we understand is the two state legislatures come together and they drop an interstate compact and they say this is where it makes sense. Here's all the things you know. There's going to be details that need to be hammered out, Daniel. And, and one of the things we get is like, oh, this is too complicated, so complicated, it'll never happen. Um, and and I, I, we would say that, that we don't believe that this has to be super complicated. People change state-level governance all the time. They move from one state to the other. They figure out the new system. They change their driver's license. They get their new licensures, and, and they start paying their taxes in the new state. Um, this isn't something that has to take 10 years in endless committees. This is a matter of sitting down the two state legislatures and saying, let's move the border to here. Here's how, how we're going to deal with these, you know, several issues. Here's where the assets, you know, we're talking about moving 9% of the population of Eastern Oregon. So that's 9% of the people, uh, you know, a starting point would be 9% of the assets of the state would go with them, 9% of the debt. Let's get this hammered out. It doesn't have to be something that, you know, drags on for years. It's something that could be done in a year uh, with people that were yep. motivated to make it happen. So, so I mean, and, and this is very important because there are issues with the Idaho governor, but he is actually cut out of the process. So you could, you could get pretty far the counties than the Idaho House. Presumably, we'll see the Idaho Senate. Okay, so now everyone's going to ask, all right, I mean, it's impressive, <laughs> Matt. We got to give you that. Got to give you credit. We never thought it would get this far. But the, the biggest hurdle is, is the next one, even more so than the subsequent ones, I think, because, again, if the states agree, it's hard for the feds to say no. 
Um, right. But but Oregon, why the heck? Now I understand what you're saying that the people in in liberal parts of Oregon are like yeah screw these hicks I don't want them. But um, right. but the reps, why would the how do you convince the reps to let you go? And do you need some sort of a friction point, a push pull where you start some sort of interposition and you start saying look we're not gonna we're not gonna abide by this stuff and you make yourself let's just say um as you negotiate this a little bit less uh yeah. governable yeah so, so we actually kind of already have a situation like that and it's not because it's something that we tried to instigate or anything like that but in this last election in november daniel the west side of the state pushed through this measure 114 which is a, is a in oregon we have ballot measures so that statewide vote so the west side of the state can force policy on the east side of the state in that way and measure 114 was a gun measure there was a whole bunch of restrictions on guns and capacities and registrations for guns the east side of the state voted uh, i mean there's overwhelming and then there's overwhelming overwhelming we were talking 75 80 80 plus percent the counties in eastern oregon didn't want that because eastern oregon is very rural we, we very much are pro second amendment it's a gun culture sometimes you you have cities out here where you, your nearest sheriff is 50 miles away it take an hour and a half to get there um having gun restrictions is not something people in eastern oregon want but it is something that western oregonians want um and so they passed this statewide measure and, and right away, a judge in Eastern Oregon put a hold on this and said, nope, this, we're not letting this go through. Um, and, and that's a perfect example of why it doesn't make any sense for these two groups of people to be trying to you know, dictate policy to each other. If Western Oregon feels like they need specific policy for Western Oregon to make their communities safe and to make their communities better, they should have that without the interference of people that live hundreds of miles away in a completely different culture. Um, so, so that is kind of what you're talking about. Like Western Oregon should have the government that Western Oregon wants, and, and they should be able to put in the policies that they want without yep. people in Eastern Oregon stopping them. So, so that's one reason why it would be beneficial for Western Oregonians that they could implement the policy that they actually want. Another reason is that financially, what Eastern Oregon is very similar to Idaho. So economically, uh, geographically, it, it's very similar to Idaho. People make about the same amount of money. Uh, Eastern Oregon counties could be uh, adopted into Idaho, and it would not be any kind of a financial drain on, on Idaho. It would actually strengthen the economy of Eastern Oregon, getting into Idaho governance, lower taxes, better business environment, and, and it would be a uh, tax boom to the state of Idaho. So, But that's not true of, of the way Oregon is structured. And so the way it currently is, Western Oregon sends tax dollars to Eastern Oregon, a subsidy to Eastern Oregon, and it's not a small number. It's $360 per person every year that Western Oregonians are sending to Eastern Oregon to subsidize them. Um, so if, if they were to let Western and, Oregon and, and, were to let... Let me just stop you there just so people understand, yeah. because just logistically, if you have two-thirds of the landmass with only 9% of the people... So, you know, you're you're paying for governmental structures, uh, services, mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of fire, police, EMS, all sorts of things. Each county's own government, even though it has a small amount of people, you don't have the economies of scale. So you're making the case, you're making a very interesting case. You're saying, hey, we're a bunch of drags on you, you know? <laughs> right. When 
And we are on Western Oregon, and, and part of that is because of, of the policy that Western Oregon, you know, Oregon has a very robust social services, and, and most of those things people in Eastern Oregon voted against and didn't want in the first place, but Western Oregon, you know, got that policy through. Um, letting us go be part of Idaho, we would be a plus for Idaho. It would be a huge financial plus for Western Oregonians. They could keep those tax dollars at home. Western Oregon's got plenty of problems, and they've got plenty of problems that are specific to Western Oregon. Yeah. They could keep those tax dollars at home and spend them on the problems that they've got and not have to be shipping those uh, over to Eastern Oregon. So that's a couple of just, you know, real practical reasons. You know, I believe, and, and I think most people understand this, the biggest reason is because self-determination matters and, and people deserve to have government that they want and yes. not have not be a political minority with no representation and no voice and have government forced on them they don't want in eastern oregon we've been voting for conservative government for 40 years and not been getting it uh, it, it doesn't help at- and i want people to to note this just how stark it is obviously you have to draw a line somewhere so you're always going to have one or two counties and cities that are like an anomaly like well it's not fair we don't want this but here right. you have a wall a wall yeah. of two-thirds of the landmass. So to put the numbers on this, so in the last gubernatorial election, the Democrat incumbent governor won by 3.6 points statewide. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's not you – know, it, it was a nice election, but it wasn't, like, that close. She won by a healthy 3.6 points. Clear, clear uh, victory there. But the reality is there's an entire wall of 18 counties in the eastern two-thirds that most of those counties voted for the – Republican now, whatever you know, whatever she was or wasn't, but the perception she's a Republican by forty to fifty point mm-hmm. margins. So it's yep. not just like okay, you have a few areas that are a little bit red, and then this is very blue. It's that you have an entire wall that's contiguous, that's polar opposite. So you have the contiguous yep. landmass. There's just no reason for it. Very compelling. Um, what's the next step? And then how could people find out more about your movement? Yeah. So, so the next step for us is, is in within the next month, we're going to be getting our hearing in the Idaho Senate, and we're hoping to get this through the Idaho Senate and feeling really good about that. Um, we've got a little more time on the Oregon side of things to get our memorial through because um, the session is longer in Oregon. So our You're next hoping step to is, do it this session? We're open. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, Idaho, the Idaho bill is moving and they're saying, we hear the people of Eastern Oregon. We see the benefit to everybody involved. Let's have this conversation. There's no reason for the state of Oregon to, to drag its feet on this. The the people in Eastern Oregon have spoken. The Idaho legislature is is saying we're ready to have this conversation. So we're going to be pushing really hard to get the state of Oregon, the, the legislative leaders here to move our bill forward and let's have this conversation. So if people want to help, if people want to find out more, they can go to greateridaho.org and they can, you know, contact state legislatures in the state of Oregon and say, this is a conversation that needs to happen. Elected leaders need to hear the will of the people and and advocate on their behalf. And we need to get this bill moving forward in Oregon. Amen. And kudos to you for seeing this vision through, um, not getting distracted, believing in your cause. And and again, I think you, you move off to, you think of places like downstate Illinois, you think of the Maryland panhandle, um, perhaps parts of Colorado. There's, I mean, there's different areas. You guys clearly had the most compelling case, but this is what we need to do. We need to accentuate the divide because the divide is there, except one party is ruling it. So we as well get our due from it and 
agree to disagree in an agreeable fashion. Uh, and this is really, in my view, the only way to avoid a civil war and still kind of be part of a loose federation. Um, but we need this sort of self-sorting. And boy, would that inject that would make Idaho the most amazing place to live. And heck, I might even move there if you're successful. So I wish you well. Again, greateridaho.org and definitely keep us updated. Thank you, Daniel, for having me on. And, and I will say, I really appreciate, you know, you have seen, you've been one of our big supporters and you saw early on why this makes sense and how this makes sense. So we appreciate the chance to come on and talk to your viewers. And I look forward to giving you positive updates soon. Amen. All righty, Matt. Take care. God bless. So what an amazing story there from Matt McCall, that initiative, that drive, that passion. He saw it through thinking out of the box understanding what we're up against. And this ties into our goals of national divorce. It ties into our goals of accentuating the political divide rather than obfuscating it. It ties into our goal of making red states red again. This is the only way to do it. We got to stop with the soap opera. What are we going to do? Because this is the problem I have with COVID now. It's like there's no amount of information that will make a difference. Just before the weekend, a big German paper, I'll have a column on it tomorrow, Die Welt, as in the world, is uh, Die Welt. So they, they published this whole expose on how, oh, we now know that in the Pfizer trial, and we knew this before, but it's important having a prominent German publication make this case, that people died of strokes and heart attacks within days of getting the shot in the clinical trial, and they just covered it up and said it wasn't from that. And that's the thing. Be like, oh my gosh, this is a scandal. This is the whole, the shots are going to be pulled from the market and they're going to be hauled before Congress. No, they're still mandating. I mean, we can't even get in South Dakota. We had a simple, simple bill, SB 125, to just say, look, no new vaccine mandates in schools. Meaning you have all the ones on the immunization schedule. You can't add to it. No, defeated seven to zero in committee. And that's the thing. This is the only way to make red states red again. You look at California. You just see how far the Overton window has moved. That it looks like red states are red relative to what they're doing, but they're not. Because in California, they actually now have the Cancer uh, Prevention Act. And this might pass. It would make the HPV STD shots mandatory for all school children in 8th grade and above. And there's nothing you can do. But in red, in red states, just, okay, so maybe it's not the STD, but it's everything else, including the ones that are killing people. See what I mean? They might be red relative to California, but they're bluer than we were as a nation five years ago. So I really think one strategy is when you have people move and just people requesting to move and change boundaries. And imagine if we... If Idaho is successful, I mean, you only need one paradigm of this, and, and then we're off to the races. Then we are off to the races. There is an effort in Illinois to make it part of maybe Kentucky or Missouri. There's always been an effort to make the Maryland panhandle part of uh, West Virginia. But this, you got to give them credit. They had the ballot initiatives in almost every county over the last couple of election cycles, and you have the Idaho legislature. Looks like it's going to uh, pass this through. And and remember, it's an important thing. Brad Little, the governor, is essentially a Democrat. But this does not have to go through the governor. I understand the Oregon legislature is the hardest part of this process. 
but you first have to build the support. You don't just say, well, that's going to be hard, so I'm not going to embark on it. This is the lesson. Whatever we do, we're going to have to fight for. Nothing is going to come easy. But these are the sorts of outside-the-box ideas that we need to think about more than just the typical loser soap opera politics as an end to itself, part of this phony conservative industry, phony movement, and we need action. And that's what my book is all about. It's easy to read. It is riveting. But more importantly, it's forward-looking. It's a rallying cry. Because right now, I could talk to you all day long about data and studies of how this thing kills you. This thing kills you 100 times over. But the policies never match it because we don't have a plan in place to force an inflection point. And Greater Idaho is just one of those things. What other ideas do you think could achieve these goals? National divorce, accentuating rather than covering up the divide, red-pilling our people, taking away their pacifiers and their political fentanyl that they get doped up on. I want people to suffer because we are suffering, but somehow we don't realize it. And we just go on and don't do anything about it because we don't have a leadership. Look, I mean, I'm the one stuck with literally no publicity, you know, without the big bucks of these other shows. And, like, even when they're on message, a lot of people are making the juxtaposition. Oh, look, you know, Trump uh, is visiting East Palestine, but Biden won't do it, and Biden's out in Ukraine. That's important. But, you know, most of your Republicans still support Ukraine. I'm not exactly seeing Republicans with their hair on fire over East Palestine either. Very few of them. I mean, even the elected Republicans from Ohio itself. I mean, has Jim Jordan said much on it? I mean, he's he's part of this subcommittee. You know, he's he's a judiciary chair, charge of oversight. Oh, whoops! I forgot they're at a session for two and a half weeks straight. You know, they're still out all week. That's part of what swings against the uh, those people because they don't have a voice. Oh boy, yeah, we were told. Oh my gosh, Republicans winning back the House, and here we are, two and a half weeks out, nothing doing there. But anyway. Please, please, if you can, purchase one for your elected representative. Adopt elected representative. It will change your life. Rise of the Fourth Reich. Get it in your libraries. And then let's formulate a plan to join our strike force teams, pushing for some of the agenda items we have at the end of the book. And, and not just on medical freedom, but other issues as, as well. ConAction.network is where we're organizing our Liberty Strike Force teams. I actually do need a uh, an Idaho leader. We have a lot of good people signed up. I just need a leader to coordinate it. So if you're interested, email me, DanielHarwitz at StartMail.com. This is just the beginning of a terrific, terrific week. We're always going to speak truth and give knowledge because that is the key to power. Power. They have their power. We need to take our power. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.